Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Morbius Box Office, Michael Bay's Ambulance Hits Theaters, and our guest is Mayim Bialik. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 208 of Real Blend, a podcast that loves everything everywhere. But do we really need it all at once? These are the questions that I want to know. <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. On this week's show, Morbius wins the box office and I win a bet with a good friend of ours, Arthur. Uh, he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Ambulance, Michael Bay's latest film, Ambulance Hits Theaters, and Mayim Bialik, the great Mayim Bialik, who you might know from... The Big Bang Theory uh, and Blossom, of course, Blossom has a new film coming out in theaters, which we will talk about later on in the show. And also she's Jeopardy. Guest. She's hosting Jeopardy now. She is also. Is she? That's like a regular thing. Yeah, I think she's, she's like, like part time. Yeah, yeah. part time between part-time. her and um, the gentleman that's like one of the all time. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings. Yeah, exactly. They're splitting sense. it. Funny gotcha. enough, at the end of our interview, which you're going to hear soon, I, we, uh, we jokingly said she should come back on the show tomorrow. She's like, no, I got to host Jeopardy. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> as one does, as yes. one does. Yeah, yeah. That is Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Jonathan, Jacob, Jacob, Edward Hamilton. Oh, wow. Yeah. The only reason wow. I know that was, was because like when Jake and I were doing the uh, Twilight Junkets. All the he, Twilight he, Junkets. Uh-huh. It was Team Jacob, Team Edward, and he had both names, <laughs> yeah. which I yeah. thought was so I made, funny. I, mean, I made t-shirts that said Team Jacob Edward. <laughs> More importantly, uh, Jake Hamilton's name is beloved by Michael Bay. And if you, at some point in the future, hear a character named Jake Hamilton... Oh. I in a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> well, watch it be just like a, an obnoxious character who gets like blown up in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, the, the character's hands they were cooking and painting game. That's Jake Hamilton. Yes. Yeah, right. That, that, that's the one. <laughs> Jake Hamilton has a real like Johnny Utah quality to it. It's not yeah, quite yeah, Johnny so Utah. Is, so, yeah, yeah. But you could fit that kind of uh, yeah. character. Uh. I love too, and I noticed this just because like when you guys were sitting down and Bay was like, Jake Hamilton, is that your real name? Like, like you're just expecting you to yeah. be using some type of <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. Well, I get asked that I'll, uh, probably once every month or so. Someone right. says, is that your real name? Um, I get that. I get that question quite a bit. Mm. And it is. It is my real name. 
And the other real name is Gabe Kovach in the producer's yeah. chair. Hi, Gabe. How are you doing? Look how handsome he is. I am good. Good to see everybody. Good. Two weeks good, in a row. Good, good. I think this is all of us together. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah, yeah, man. We've been I here to take next week off. All right. Uh, housekeeping. <laughs> if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Please head down and give us a like and a subscribe. Help us grow out the YouTube community uh, for all of our audio listeners. If you want to go over and see uh, the types of things that we are wearing and our dis- uh, distinguished backgrounds, Go to youtube.com backslash Roblin premium. Of course, we're available all the different places where you get your podcast needs met. I have to ask you guys, have you signed up for Roblin premium on Roblin premium? We play a lot of really fun games, including uh, the two film challenge, which we did not play last week. Uh, we played the IMDb game last week, Jake. And for a while, <laughs> you almost won it, even though you weren't part of the show because we weren't getting any points <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then Sean we, just destroyed me. Yeah. All of a sudden I got like threes and, uh, on oh. a couple of categories, which was pretty random. Oh. So, uh, mm-hmm. to listen to the premium episodes and to get an ad free version of the show and a newsletter written by me every other week, uh, check the description for information on where, sign up okay we have a lot of show to get to this week including as i mentioned we're going to talk about michael bay's film ambulance uh we're going to discuss morbius and how it did at the box office but we cannot wait any further uh, to get to our interview with mayan bialik because she uh is making her feature film debut with a movie called as they made us uh it stars a couple of newcomers uh in dustin hoffman and candace bergen (laughs) and is a uh really emotional drama which shows a really strong uh hand by her and goes to show that she's going to become a director. I think we're going to be paying really close attention to. So after we saw the movie, we reached out and wanted to get her on the show and she was nice enough to join us. And so without further ado, I'm Mayim Bialik on Real Blend. Um, I want to start out talking about uh, casting Simon. And obviously you, you had this familiarity with him working on Big Bang, which I think is helpful, but it's a completely different relationship. You're not working with him as your co-star anymore. You're working with him I don't want to use the word boss, but like definitely someone who's kind of telling him what to do and how a different relationship with someone you're familiar with kind of changes working with them. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a this is a great and I think really important question, um, especially for me as an actor, um, because, uh, you know, switching from acting to directing is its own you know kind of beast. But um, my father passed away while I was on Big Bang Theory. So I was working with Simon daily. I mean, he knew, he he basically was one of the first people to know, you know, that my father passed away because we were, we were friends and coworkers and, you know, all of this happened when we were in each other's lives. Um, So the fact that Simon sort of knew my family and knew um, a lot about me and I knew a lot about him was just a starting point for as I started writing, because that was really the impetus for this was not like, I'm going to make a movie. It was just like, I need to write. I need to get some of this out. Um, I wrote thinking about Simon because Simon, I mean, A, looks more like me than my own brother. Um, but <laughs> Simon is someone who I I just respect his his acting so much and even on big bang you know he's a comedian who lets nothing go you know he there he does not miss a beat and um i did i i wrote with his voice um he was essentially the first person i cast you know even before i thought of making a movie because i i knew i wanted that kind of person um that kind of voice so i never thought he would do it ever 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 i think i asked jim parsons first like do you think simon would even read this 
Um, I just thought he'd be like, oh, that's cute. Mayim wrote something. And he absolutely made no indication in our relationship that he would say, oh, that's cute. Mayim wrote this. That's completely just like me in my head. And um, I sat on it for about a year after I wrote it and um, finally got up the courage to show it to him and um, was shocked. I mean, I'm shocked to this day that he did it. Like, this was a very, very small film. Um, you know, like, it was 90 million degrees and 90 million percent humidity. Like, it was a very, like, we didn't even have air conditioning all the time. And I never thought he, or Dustin or Candace, for that matter, <laughs> or Diana would want to be in that situation with me. Um, but yes, I was definitely intimidated as a director because I respect him so much as a performer, respect his instincts, and the there were many places where I was grateful that he and I had a relationship where he could push back and say, this isn't working for me. Like I need this. Or, you know, there was stuff that they rewrote. It's not an autobiography. So I, I was fine with them creating new ways to do things. There are things in the movie that happened and they did them differently than they happened in real life. And to me, that's why, that's why you have to be a director who allows mm. actors to have an experience. So um, I trust him so much and trusted all of our actors so much, but um definitely different and i i always i would always say i'm your biggest fan like that was our joke was that oh, was my joke that i was simon helberg's biggest fan and so it, it felt like oh gosh now i have to actually like stand up straight and like be be an authority figure and not just be like simon you're amazing Can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> um i want to go right to abigail who i think is a terrific part um and i wanted to know if you ever considered doing it yourself and if i mean obviously you yeah. decided not to yeah uh, so why would you ever direct yourself in something um i i can imagine directing myself i did not want my first film to be dismissed as um more of a vanity project than i already fear people will think it is um <laughs> i did not want if for whatever reason it didn't work if it was bad um i didn't want that to be potentially in the back of my mind like did i do this did i potentially ruin an opportunity to have a positive first directing experience because I wanted to be in it. Um, mm -hmm. Also the complexity emotionally of a lot of these scenes, um, I, I, I needed to be watching it. I needed mm -hmm. to be seeing it. I needed to be looking at all the things I needed to be checking continuity. Like I had to do all those things. And I, I am, I mean, I, I worked with Woody Allen when he was, you know, acting with me and direct it. Like, it's bizarre to watch that happen. And, you know, my DP, David Feeney Mosier, you know, he, 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 he owns this movie, you know, as, as much as I do. Um, so even though I wasn't even in front of the camera, I needed assistance that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt, um, again, it felt like a disservice to the actors and to our crew to have me divided as such, especially because I am sensitive about it being seen as like, oh my God, she wrote a movie, she directed it, oh, she's starring, yeah, you know? Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm like, I, I, all the bad things people might say, I've already said them to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm super fascinated by the aspect ratio choice because you shot one six six to one, mm -hmm. which is a fascinating choice because if you, I was looking at some recent films like even Robin Wright shot one six six to one, uh, John Stewart shot Irresistible one six six to one, Maggie Gyllenhaal just shot her movie mm -hmm. one six six to one. Um, that's a fascinating ratio, and it's and it's a tall ratio. It's immersive. Yeah. Um, I was wondering just your thoughts as a director of the choice of that um, for people who are listening that might not know what we're talking about. It, there's like skinny black bars on the left and right side of the screen and then you're full from the top to bottom. Right. Um, fascinating ratio, though. 
So yeah, this is, I mean, this is, this is David's guidance. Um, and, you know, we definitely worked on it to, together. Um, David comes from the Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig um, yeah. world. And, um, you know, he's, he, he's an exceptional person who also has been with me for years before we even got to make this, meaning he was one of the first people that I said, will you make this movie with me? And he stuck with me through, you know, through many notes, many COVID delays, many, oh my gosh, do we have enough money to even make this? Like, how are we even doing this? So he guided so much um, of just the process that my trust in him had to be such. Um, So in terms of ratio, also in terms of color in terms of um the differences in color from the present um the past also the the color choices the movie is i say the colors of a bruise um the present tense is, is blues and grays it's you know intentional and um the past is is amber it's the way that you remember photos if you were born in 1975 um it is it is the the color of a childhood for many of us you know of the late 70s and and 80s um so in terms of the ratio we we really saw this more as a, a play um, that mm. was kind of playing out, and um, you know that was not. I I I don't think it was because of lack of experience for me as a writer or a director. It was deliberate. Um, this is a movie where you don't need to reinvent the wheel visually, and I think that was a lot of people's fear, and I'm sure it is a lot of people's fear. We're the first time director, like let's do 62 over the shoulder shots, and let's do like <laughs> we shot we shot it very simply, and so that ratio was meant to display um, in a very specific way what should feel more kind of theatrical. You know, those are kind of your curtains. <laughs> That's cool. I, I'm always curious about the decision process in that because yeah. the ratio does affect the immersion. Yeah, and, I, and, and David would have a lot of other things to say, which would be you know much more technical. But but again, like that's the amazing thing about finding a DP like that. He was mm. my creative visionary and partner. You know, he this was like the bromance. My favorite times of this film was literally like shot listing with David. Yeah. You know, over like beer and Thai food in the hotel room. You know, <laughs> wow, that's, that's cool. awesome. Well, I, mean, I loved how excited you got at the idea that, that Simon said yes to your film, because that leads perfectly into my next question, which, which is I want you to take me to the moment when a person who is writing and directing their first full length feature film gets a call. Oh, Candace Bergman said yes. Dustin Hoffman said yes. Take me it's, to the moment where right, how you comprehend something well, like I, that. I don't think I, I don't think I have comprehended it. And that's not just like lip service. Like, I can't believe this is happening. No, it's literally like I don't it's like it doesn't fully compute is a very like dissociative aspect to making film in general to mm. making low budget film to making your first film but like this aspect like it's unbelievable um and what happens is is strange because you're basically like just told like who do you want to play that you know and they just like send you a list of like every adult human who's between the ages of like 50 <laughs> and 80. but like can i get any of them like you know how does this work and what happens is you are asked to, to meet them for like a coffee or I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, I didn't even know that that's what it meant when Candace Bergen like summoned me to a hotel in Beverly Hills. Like, I didn't realize, like, I thought like, I gotta like sell it. Like she, that meant she wanted to like meet the writer face to face. And I was on Murphy Brown when I was 13 years old, like a million years ago. So like she, she vaguely remembered me, which I appreciate. Oh, that's wild. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, at that time she was married to Louis Mall, and, you know, like, so like, I, I knew that like, this is a woman who knows cinema. Um, she was really 
pulled in by this story. And it was kind of the same with Dustin. Like I was asked to go to lunch with him and we sat for two and a half hours. I met his wife. Like we had like a whole thing. Like it was bizarre. It, my life felt very, very bizarre. Dustin also did not know of Big Bang Theory, which is totally fine. He was like, how'd you get interested in directing? And I was like, <laughs> dude, this is my first movie. Like it was insane to have to not lie to Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> but how does the meeting happen in the first place if he's not familiar with your work? Um, he read they they sent the script, which mm-hmm. also blows my mind. I was like, that <laughs> my my script, like my story. Um, and I think also, and I, I think it's important to acknowledge, like as a woman, there's for me, for me, a lack of like confidence in owning my place at the table. Even though, mm-hmm. even though I was raised a feminist, even though I have a doctorate, even though I'm like a ballsy woman, um, it's still hard to take your place in this arena especially you know and like if I was a young pitcher right out of film school this is what my ex-husband told me he's like you'd be like I'm gonna make an amazing movie it's gonna be amazing and like everything I touch turns to gold I'm like that's not my personality it took a lot to get there so sitting with Dustin and having him say like this script really touched me and like his eyes were welling up like I'm like is he acting what's happening yeah I was was gonna jump in really quick sorry Sean I'm so sorry because you mentioned Dustin Hoffman not being familiar with Big Bang Theory and 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 we have a, a someone that we refer to as a friend of the show, Quentin Tarantino, because he always asks us to do. We host an event with him last year, and Quentin confessed to being a Big Bang Theory fan. What? And I was wondering huge. who, like, I was yeah, wondering uh, who's the strangest person you you've had tell you as a f- fan of Big Bang Theory. I mean, Quentin Tarantino. I think. Okay, okay. <laughs> awesome. We um, have audio. We have audio. We can send it to your your team for you here. right now. I'm yeah. Yeah. that's unbelievable. Um, wow. No, I think what's also funny about Dustin not knowing Big Bang Theory is that means he didn't know Simon. So like mm. when oh. I was like, you're going to be acting with this guy. And also Simon's only he's not in a lot of the movie. Yeah. So like mm. after we had rehearsal the first day with Dustin and Simon, which Simon said, he's like, I've always wanted to hold a place next to Dustin. Like the two of them, they sure. look, and look so much like their energy is so awesome. And Dustin turns to me after like one of the rehearsals and he's like, this kid's pretty good. <laughs> he has a future ahead of him. Yeah, I know. He's really going places, this Simon Hilbert kid. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, sorry. And then okay. you got another question. I'm not going to let you um, undersell your material because this is a very complicated, uh, it's very complicated material and it's extremely honest. It goes to some really difficult places. And I'm telling you, you gave Candace and Dustin some of the best roles that they've had in a really, really long time. But it asks them to uh, it asks them to go through some really difficult situations, which, you know, considering mortality uh, and just the inevitability of your body failing, you know, and and the the problems that come with that. Um, As a director, do you build to those scenes? Do you want to get them out of the way right away? Um, How did you approach it? How did your cast want to approach it? Um, gosh, so the, the, I want to speak to the first part of that because I think one of the most interesting experiences was that of the crew, um, and all of us who were getting to, to see in particular, Dustin and Candace, you know, people that many of us associate with their youth. Um, and of course they, they both have a very, you know, a very beautiful and long career. However, you know, the, the iconic images, you know, that, that many of us have and hold of, of Dustin and Candace, I mean, you know, I, I pulled up her Vogue cover, 
just to show the mm-hmm. hair and makeup department, you know, yeah, like, yeah. because she, she, she had an entire persona even before, you know, being an actress, right. She was raised in this like very, very prominent Hollywood family. And, and even Dustin, you know, most of us think of him, you know, so to see these characters, you know, them having to deal with aging mortality, but also to see the actors having to perform that was, yes you know, painful and complicated. Many of our crew, uh, we had a very small crew, um, but many said that they took this job specifically in the middle of COVID because they wanted to witness, you know, these actors, you know, and and it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, And, you know, it's not as easy to memorize as you get older. I mean, I'm 46 and like, I still, I've still got it, but it's not exactly the same. And so like, this Mm -hmm. is a process. So you're watching people witnessing also having to play younger versions of themselves where you need like a, you know, a this. And, um, you know, my, my father of blessed memory was bipolar. And so um, I did base that character on that. And, and a lot of the mania that I wrote is very hard to communicate when the actor is Dustin's age. And, you know, he acknowledged that, you know, like, I want you pacing. I want you like this. And it's like, oh, that's not going to happen. How do I rework it to try and keep some of that energy and keep it, in dialogue and get to the end point of the scene if you don't have like that kind of intensity. So that was sure. kind of one aspect. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, the, the others, I was very sensitive. I, I like, I didn't want Dustin to have to be the corpse at any point. So we found ways to work around that. Um, I, I was pretty certain I did not want to show a body that was no longer living, you know, meaning mm-hmm. a character like, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I have actual images that many scenes in the movie are based on. Mm-hmm. Um, so like from my life and my father's um, life. So I would show those just to the actors, you know, the actors and David, you know, my DP were the only ones who saw those. So there was specific kind of moments around these points that I knew I wanted to get to visually um, mm-hmm. and also musically as well. I, I say this movie was told mm-hmm. three ways, you know, words and images and, and sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your choice yeah, uh, of songs are fantastic. I'm sorry, Kev. No, 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 it's okay. No, and in terms of like, I, I find this fascinating because as a director now and making a feature film and directing actors like Dest- Dustin Hoffman, I'm curious what it taught you about yourself as an actor, um, just to kind of be on the other other side of that. Did it did it teach you how you want to be directed or how you want to be working on a set? Like, did you kind of like unlock anything about your process through this? Um, Yeah, I mean, Dustin is a much more open and receptive actor than I am. And so I definitely was like, hmm, I should probably look at that. Um, Hmm. He he wanted and it could just I mean, he and I just, you know, I do very well in that demographic of human older people really, really like me. There's just something that's just like me. Like I'm a person who like likes to go to, you know, senior citizen centers like that. I volunteered at one (laughs) when I was a teenager. Like it's just like I like old people. So Dustin and I, you know, we sort of have a very similar like I think I'm like him inside, you know, like we have a similar way of talking. We talk like this. We do this like he we sprinkle a little Yiddish here like we had a definite you know kind of vibe and um he wanted things explained he would I never thought that he would ask me how to deliver Mm. something ever um and it's again like not lip service like he really and I would kind of explain something and I'd say like is that too much he's like no just more like keep talking like that's and that was sort of part of his like the fact that he can be at the place in his career the stage of his like a two-time Oscar went like and still want to be so open. He came to the set every single morning before he got into hair and makeup to see what was on the docket for the day, look around the set, say hello to the crew every single morning. Wow, that's awesome. This is a person who thrives alive on a set. Yeah. Thrives. He was not, he did not, I'm sure he has bad moods, 
I'm sure his assistant and his wife and his kids could tell us all sorts of things, but this is a person who is alive on a set and brings a set to life. I mean, Candace, when he was around, he, like, he lit up the room and you could see it in Candace's character. And honestly, that's the kind of man my father was. He was this very you know, cerebral and eccentric artsy person, but he lit up a room and that mm. energy was like so important, you know? Mm, that's cool so you might you you think you might like use some of that in your own career yeah, going I, think forward? I need to be not so stubborn as an actor mm. like that's really you know to, to see how open he is but i will say that a lot of things about my sensibility um felt similar to something dusted like i i am a person i want to look at the crew in the eye i want to talk to them i want people to feel familiar with me as an actor um and so that was really actually nice to see that you mm. can keep that going for decades and decades it never gets old to be be kind that way to a crew. I love wow. that. Uh, wow. my, a lot of times when, when an actor is a part of a series for a long time, at a certain point, they want to step in and, and direct. I think John Hamm did a couple of episodes of Mad Men. Brian Cranston did a few episodes of Breaking Bad. Yep. But I'm curious if you ever considered, I know Mark did most of Big Bang Theory, but I'm curious if you ever wanted to step in and try to, to direct an episode, or is that too hectic? Is the sitcom schedule too hectic to be on both sides of the camera? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I could see direct, I mean, I never, never would have thought of it, um, you know, in Big Bang times, just because I was <laughs> quite low on the totem pole, you know, like, I wasn't going to be like, and now I'm going to direct, like, <laughs> I've been nominated for four Emmys, now I direct. No, I really, like, gotta kind of fly under the radar when you're brought in, you know, and made a regular in the fourth season, like, um, <laughs> But, you know, on, on Call Me Cat, you know, we're in our we're finishing our second season. And um, uh, again, you know, our, our technical director um, is he's phenomenal. His name is David Colclasier. And um, I would love to direct with David as my partner. Like, I know that um, directing sitcom is very different. But also, like, to be honest, I'm not saying it's easy, but you have four cameras and no wall. It's like it's just <laughs> right there. It's like great. Yeah. Um, and that was a real shift for me also as I learned to direct not in that way some days we had two cameras but i had to pretend like we had one um that's a whole different set of blocking planning and also you can turn around very, now i mean also like very very tight schedule very low budget um josh hartso was our first ad and he was phenomenal and in terms of i can't remember which question it was uh but i feel like i didn't touch on it, it there was an order you know how do we decide the order Josh oh, yeah. decided the order. Right. And then I will tell you the first, the very first scene that we did as a family was the biggest fight scene where Simon gets hit. That was okay. the first scene that we filmed. Oh, wow. Goodness. Exactly. Would I have chosen it that way? <laughs> there was right, also, right. I mean, it was like New Jersey in the summer. It was like storming. It was so humid. We didn't have air conditioning. Like the power went out. We had to film those singles about an hour apart for each of the actors because our power mm -hmm. went out and you've been, there's lightning in New Jersey. You cannot turn on your generator. Like it was our guys wired through the house so that we could finish the scene. It was insane. That was our <laughs> first scene we shot. Oh and like, my God. I mean, that's just, it's whatever the schedule lets you have. It's how many days do you have this person's house that you're renting? Like right. it was madness. And on sitcom, it's so safe. Like 
every day you show up and there's the sets everything's yeah, yeah. fine it'll be a storm like so different and I'm also so like, anxious just hearing you talk about this yeah but situation. you know what that's that's why film is film you know my parents were documentary filmmakers i grew up with 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter like just like hanging around the house like reel to reel was mm. like what we did for fun like just to watch you know so i grew up with a reverence you know for cinema so to me mm. sitcom like i know what people say about sitcom like i know how it is you know so yeah. entering the world of film was also just really special it was kind of getting back to what i was raised as my roots you know love that mm. uh we would be completely remiss if we didn't bring up diana who is just the the rock that holds this entire production together uh oh. and she's exquisite from scene to scene so yeah, i mean beautiful. Uh, just what did you see in her that made her right for abigail and then uh what did she uh basically teach you as you were working with her about what so, she's um i think she'd be okay with me sharing this we met you know, we had to meet by Zoom. It was during COVID. I was on set with, with Call Me Cat. She was in, I, I want to say like Brazil. She was in Brazil. She was like spent, you know, like you do. You spend. Yeah, so yeah like, yeah, who's yeah. not? And I'm picturing her like poolside, like what is her life? And I look like I just woke up, but it's like noon because I always look like I just woke up. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, am I that like weird eccentric director person? That's like, my hair is like all here. And I'm like on a break from work. And um, what she said is this, this script is extremely important to me and I feel like I need to be in this movie and I will move mountains to do this movie. Okay. And I don't mean to say that like, I live by passion or people's passion, but there is something very special about hearing that from an actress like that who specifically does small films. Hmm. She specifically does independent films. And um, it meant a lot to her and Diana has shared um, that her, her father has MS, which is a progressive degenerative condition that she's been dealing with since she's a teenager. Um, she understands this character. She mm -hmm. brought a lot of specialness to this character. Um, I can say that I think for everyone, um, this film was very special personally. I, I choose not to tell other people's stories. Diana has spoken about um, hers a bit, um, but it was special to everyone. Um, in personal ways. And I think with Diana's performance and, you know, I had never seen it big, you know, I'm watching her this size. And oh, then sure. as I edit, I'm watching her this size. I, you know, I, when I finally saw the cut, I, I was like, she was doing things that were even like more fascinating than I even was able to clock, you know, and I was, and I was right here with her, but um, you know, that's, She's she is a face you cannot make look bad. Um, and, and I don't just mean because she's an attractive human. I mean, as a performer, like every contortion that she can do for me, it it lands. It really lands. Um, yeah, she's a really, really beautiful job. And um, yeah, we got runny well, notes from her more than once. So just, there's an know, authenticity uh, to what yeah. she brings to some extremely complicated situations that yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that she's had some personal experience with that. Yeah. It, it definitely comes through in her performance. Yep. You know, I, I want to switch gears because I found this interesting. You mentioned four cameras uh, on, on a sitcom with like Big Bang, and, and it got me thinking about like the process of like what that shoot is like. Um, and obviously, you know, you've been in so many different things over your career, but you've also worked in different generations of television. Like Blossom was a big deal and this and, and then Big Bang. And I just wonder, like, in your mind, how TV changed from like something like Blossom to Big Bang. And was like was Blossom like a one camera, two camera? Like what was the difference in those shoots? 
Um, so Blossom, just to, to place it in people's history, I don't know if any of you were born. Uh, I we watched started, it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, no, so, that's, that's yeah. the first thing I saw yeah. you in. That's why I brought okay, that so, up. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I'm, you know, just for, for reference, I'm 46. So when I yeah. was 14, we started on Blossom. We premiered after the Cosby show. That's how old we are. Um, and uh, then we were next to Right, we were, that, right, that was our premiere. We were on NBC. We were a primetime yeah family show we were not punky brewster with all due respect to date you know like late afternoon stuff um, we were uh, an evening show and then we were paired with the fresh prince of bel-air which is what we called will smith back in the day um <laughs> and um we were a four camera sitcom we were a wit thomas show so wit thomas and wit thomas harris brought you soap and golden girls and empty nest and nurses I was part of that that legacy, as it were, of Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, one of the most famous Jewish-Arab partnerships in Hollywood, I'd like to point out. Um, Paul passed away a few years ago, um, but they and Don Rio, who created Blossom, you know, they raised me in this industry. And um, we we did two tapings. We did a 4.30 to 6 dress rehearsal and then like a 6.30 to, you know, 10 o'clock um taping so we did two tapings with notes in between notes were given in front of like the entire crew you would all sit at a big table and they would tell you everything you did wrong like in front of your parents like it was <laughs> that's just how we did it we all went to a sound stage you had a half hour to eat and get back and do it again um very classic sitcom you know um no laugh track because people laughed at those kinds of jokes and that's how we did it um, and I did that for five years. I did that from 14 to 19. 12 years later, when I came back to the to the industry of, you know, of the Big Bang world, I had done some episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is very, very different, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Big Bang operated pretty much like the old school, you know, Chuck Lorre believed in sitcom for a reason. Um, in, the, the jokes were much tighter. The characters were much more honed. And I was entering a show that already had its stride. And that's very different. Um, I don't think you cannot mention the impact of social media and a shift in culture that impacts all the work that we do in the industry. Um, we were not untouched by that, you know, on Big Bang Theory. So, you know, whereas I used to go to a red carpet event in like a cute dress, like now 14 year old girls are expected to look like women with extensions, you know, hair extensions and manicure and spanks spanks didn't exist cell phones didn't exist like you know all these things so it does it it changes the dynamic but to me classic sitcom four camera it doesn't change i mean back in the day we didn't have cold opens you didn't have a cold open or a tag you just started <laughs> the episode so like bill bixby was our director back in the day and he did these like pretty montages of like you know kind of coloring in the first shot to give us an in but um episodes used to be 24 minutes i think they might have been 26 when we started now they're 21 Oh, wow. um, that's a huge shift. Um, I mean, I could, wow. I literally, I could go on forever in a day if you ever want to have me back to talk about kind of the differences in, you yeah, know, yes. Anytime. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and also it was completely standard for like men to touch women inappropriately all the time. It happens all the time, you know, yeah. and the fact that we have a consciousness now of like, oh, I don't need to hug you. You don't need to touch me there. That's such a huge difference. I mean, diversity, like crews used to be entirely white men in their 50s. It was like a factory of like, where are the white men in their 50s? That's it. Right. Now we actually, we have diversity. We have a woman DP on Call Me Cat. I never met one in television. Mm, like right. I've never seen female gaffers or female special effects, like women doing jobs you never saw. People of color, like what? There were never people of color in so right. many situations. And now we see that obviously a lot more and we'll continue to. 
Wow. Just in 12 years, all that changes. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Makes, makes you wonder what's going to happen in the next 12 years. Uh, my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you loose on this. And this is a question I've actually always wanted to ask you. If you can't tell, we're three people who, who take pride in, in doing our homework and knowing who we're talking to. And, and you have a doctorate in neuroscience. And, and what used to drive me crazy is whenever I would see instances of, because you mentioned red carpets, of people on red carpet asking you if, what it was like to have to fake an understanding of the science and Big Bang Theory. And I, would use, I used to want to scream well, into one, the television. There's one that became like a, a gif, a meme. I don't know, I'm an yes. old person. There's one that like was circulating where he was like, What's it like having to talk about all that calculus? But you kept, you always were, you were so classy about it and you kept your cool and you would say, actually, I have a doctor. Like, uh, were you internally screaming when you would get asked that or is it just sort of like, okay. I mean, when you put me on a red carpet, I'm internally screaming all the time. (laughs) Everything. Like, I mean, like, I'm just, you know, I, I don't mean to, I would, I would never bite the hand that feeds me. You know, I've been raised in this industry, my life, my, health insurance you know my 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 children's existence like so many things i owe to being able to live my life as an artist and creator and Mm -hmm. and i would never bite the hand that feeds me but (laughs) how nice is it that we spend all this money and we get all dressed up and like they ask you questions like who are you wearing like it's like the whole thing is so bananas and like you know and then especially with everything that's gone on in the world for all time but especially the last like five years it's hard. And that was like a weird thing. When I went to the Critics' Choice, I got to present for the first time. I, I had won that award twice. So it was like, that was a big deal. I've never been asked to present. They don't usually ask my type to present. So I was like, it's going to happen. And meanwhile, like there's like a war in Ukraine and we're all like on the carpet. And I hadn't been out to a red carpet like because of COVID. Like, so the, everything is so surreal in those situations. So then when they ask you all sorts of things, it's like, I'm also glad that like, women started saying like why am i asked what i'm wearing when men are asked about the movie they're in like and it's and i don't mean to just be like oh there's that like feminist coming out but like it's kind of weird and true and i'm i would advocate that like there should be a basically a black tie dress for women like you just all wear a you could wear a different black dress so that we don't have also so much attention on like the Mm. insanity of like the differences in that sense between you know men and women that way um so i I think there's a lot of interesting gender stuff that happens on carpets Mm -hmm. um and i i think also for me as someone who really thrives in this kind of arena that we're in right now to put me on a carpet and hope for a funny soundbite out of me is like like i'm like i'm not the girl you go up to at a cocktail party because you necessarily want to like take her home you want to like find out what she's thinking about and maybe we'll have drinks next week you know that's why we started this show to I be was like, very, this is what our cocktail parties yeah. are like to be honest with you yes uh, Ryan, seriously we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us we, if you if you can't tell we were all very excited about this and seriously thank you for um for being such a great conversation we truly thank you i'm you. very honored to be um you know to be in this space with you it's very new for me and um it's really exciting to be able to talk about the cerebral aspects of making a film which you know to me are the, the technical aspects were really the most important. Um, so I really appreciate having a space to talk about that. You are welcome back anytime, awesome. honestly. Yeah, come yeah. back anytime. Thank yeah. you let, let us know what you're doing tomorrow. We'll, we'll touch base. I'm on Jeopardy tomorrow, actually. Busy day. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah, you can skip that. All right, see you. Thank you again to Maya and Bialik for coming on the show. We're going to discuss uh, as they made us later on. Uh, I'm going to give a quick review for it. But um, Kev, talk about the interview. She was a terrific guest. 
she was phenomenal. And like, what's crazy about it is like growing up, she was always blossomed to me because that was the character that I was first introduced to. Um, so I'm 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 actually uh, really far into Big Bang Theory now. I'm on I'm on season two, episode seven. Um, so just, I know, I know. I wanted, I wanted to save this for the show. Um, Do you so, just casually wait, wait, you. So you you made it through the punishment and mm-hmm. and you liked it enough where you just said, I'm going to continue going. Yeah, well, so so crazy thing is this. Like, uh, I know I wanted to say this for the oh show. Oh my god! I, I, I love it, obviously. Um, and so for J- what Jake's referring to, if you if you missed our Oscar bet, uh, basically, you know, we all predict the nominees, and Jake won as he always does, and he gives <laughs> Sean and I a punishment. So you know, we watched. I Human haven't Centipede. started. Human Centipede three was one of them, and then this time it was it was the first seventeen episodes of The Big Bang Theory, um, which a show that I love. A, it's a phenomenal binge because they're 19, 20 yeah. minute episodes. Oh, that's um, awesome. What's interesting about it, though, speaking of Mayim Bialik, uh, in the first season, which is really strange, a character ref- talks mm-hmm. about Blossom. Yeah. And they actually say, so I think I think they're trying to like match somebody with somebody. And yeah. they say, oh, the girl from Blossom would, would, would be perfect or whatever they say in the show. And then obviously she shows up on the series. I haven't seen her show up yet. Exactly. But big fan of it. Uh, last thing I'll say about it is this: the way they use the four the four floors of walking up the stairs to have dialogue yeah, is it's it's a brilliant idea, incredible. But I also learn a lot from Sheldon, even when he goes off on those rants about like science and all this stuff. Um, big into it. Uh, I've already I've already gone way beyond what Jake asked, and I'm on episode seven. I'll watch probably four or five more tonight. Yeah. Um, it's Got, great to the though. point where I'm glad Kevin brought that up because that was the question at the end of the episode where we had one more question. I I sort of texted Jake and I was like, tell him the rap. I thought that was the question that you were going I, to ask. I, 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 I wanted to. And I, I yeah. definitely wanted to do that. I there was oh, about something her about name. Yeah, about, about her, her name. Yeah. name drop. Yeah. Yeah. I should have. I should have asked that. Um, but yeah, I ended up obviously asking the question about just because I I. I, I, th- I thought she would respond well to um, this idea that that so many people have asked her over her career if she understands the science and she's an actual actual yeah. doctor. She's an actual yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, no, she was fantastic, and I loved her genuine reaction. And I've told uh, I told Simon Helberg this as well. Um, whenever I we got to tell her that Quentin Tarantino likes Big Bang Theory, like that was such oh, a yeah. real genuine reaction yeah. from her. And if you get the chance yeah. to actually watch the interview on YouTube. Her facial reaction in that moment is fantastic. So if you get a chance, yeah. that, that was my favorite moment of, of that. And it's a it's a great show. I'm like so into it. And I think uh, thank you for letting me uh, for getting me into it. But uh, it's genuinely is great. So I'm past my punishment. Yes. And there's two hundred and seventy nine episodes. Yeah, there is. And is all of them. No, no, it's off. It's the ending. The ending's great. Hmm. It, it, HBO it ends very Max. Well. HBO Max. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's get to Morbius, which opened this past weekend. Uh, and opened to a well, as of now, its domestic poll is a forty one point one million dollars internationally. It added another forty four point nine million dollars. It is currently worldwide at eighty six million dollars. Now, why is that significant? Uh, significant because Sony only spent seventy five million on it and then, you know, had to market it, obviously. But they kept the costs way, way down, probably because they made it back in two thousand and three. And have been holding on to it since <laughs> since then. So the costs have been low. Uh, but either way, they're going to end up making money on it, which goes to show that outside of the uh, Spider-Man No Way Homes of them all, of which people are going to turn out because of the Marvel influence. 
uh, Venom and its sequel and Morbius. These movies are making money. People are turning out to these movies, maybe not in droves uh, at the way that, you know, Venom made more money in its opening weekend than Morbius did. But Morbius had plenty of support and had plenty of support in the face of truly horrible reviews. And Kev, I wanted you to touch on this because you were commenting on the fact that. And I agree with you 100 percent. I feel like a lot of people went into that movie uh, opening weekend or leading into opening weekend with their minds made up. Jake, Jake don't give me that look, Jake, because you know that that happens a lot. Well, I'm not saying that you did, but I think a lot of people did. I think Morbius brought out some of the worst in film Twitter that I've ever seen. Um, and just in That's terms a bold of statement, sir, and I, I agree I with them. I say that because and, I, and I've been it's so interesting. Like I just got off an interview just now with um, Eva Longoria and Matt Walsh uh, for uh, this movie called Unplugging, which is about a couple who puts their phones away and goes on a trip and tries to like not be on their phones. Because I got a weekly report the other day that said I was on my phone for average of nine hours a day. Ooh, and damn. I was like, and I, and, so that, and I was like, what? Like, this is so ridiculous because Kevin Smith posted something the other day that he was like 110 percent over his average. And he Wait. only was at an hour and 40 minutes a day. I want to bring that up because my phone is on. Like I get in trouble from the boy. The boys yell at me all the time because they're like, why don't you turn your phone off? And I don't turn it off. But if I just leave it on, doesn't that mean like the phone thinks that I'm on it? What? Some okay. of the apps We're gonna hang on. Let's have a tech. Let's have a technology corner with grandma. Is that an old man thing? Yeah. What are you saying? You mean unlocked? Well, right. Like if I if have just my sitting phone there unlocked on, right? Like, yeah, if yeah, I've okay, used it for unlocked. something and then I put it down on the thing, I don't yes. turn it off. So. So, yeah. So the, the stat that you guys are talking about is called screen on time. So it's okay. not like tracking that you're like staring at it or the activity that you're doing. It's just that the screen is on and it tracks that. So, yes, Sean. So the, the reason I my thing is back on. to movies. And the reason I brought this up is because, again, this goes back to the Morbius discussion. Um, I realized like how much time is being wasted just looking at film Twitter and kind of the way people. And sorry, my dogs are barking. I apologize, but I apologize for that. But anyways, the point I'm trying to make is, though, as I looked through Twitter this weekend and the week leading up to Morbius, it just depressed me severely to see people just hating on something. And I, Did I, I miss I, this? I feel like I didn't see that. Oh. I mean, people, people making fun of it, but I feel like I didn't see not to the degree that I feel like I saw people ripping on each other on like star Wars or like, I like, I, mean, I, feel, I, uh, I didn't feel like I didn't see that. There was something, much. I don't know that I found something, I, I, the tone I got on social media was that people wanted this film to fail. And that's what I don't really understand. Like we're, we've gotten to a, par, a point in society where people are just rooting against things and rooting against things and trying to get things to fail. And I just I found that to be really disheartening. And it honestly makes me, you know, I've, I've tried to take social media breaks and things like that. But Morbius particularly, I was blown away by the negativity and the hatred before anybody it, it, even saw the film. People so were like people were let, celebrating. Oh, 19 yeah. percent. Yeah, this let is me, amazing. Let me. Let me combat that for a second were they rooting because you're right a lot of people um i didn't I, I don't know if i saw a ton of people rooting for it to fail i saw a ton of people just making fun of it um but were they so much ragging on the movie or leto yeah. because i feel like leto has a ton of negative discourse just around him and a lot of threat and that story that just came out where he would make the the, the crew wait 45 minutes so that he could go to the bathroom quote-unquote yeah, in yeah, character yeah. like in character. i feel like a lot all those stories coming out okay. kind of just made people go i think a lot oh, of people are kind of over leto right now let's unpack this is before, that. This is before the the discourse quick, on leto real quick 
I want to unpack that. So going to the bathroom in character, would he turn into a bat? Like, was he put on some no, bat? So, so apparently he... I actually understand why he did this. I, I, I do not. I'm kidding. Okay, so, I wanted to make a bad joke. Wait, I don't yeah, actually okay. want to discuss what he did. Okay. So, so, well, because they would, he, would, he would make someone, like, wheel him in a wheelchair to, right. like, to, you know, which I just think is the most Whatever. ridiculous thing in the world. But, I, but, I, but I think the... What, what I saw, but I, what I saw was that... Like he wanted to go like to the bathroom and crutches. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they were like, dude, that's going to take you too long. Like, can we just like right. put you in a wheelchair? Right. And so he had someone push him in a wheelchair to the but bathroom. He didn't make someone do that. He was originally trying to walk to the bathroom <laughs> from what I understand in the crutches. And they said, this is taking too much time. So we're going to put you in a chair. That doesn't compromise. help. That doesn't help. I'm just saying. That. But, but so, I think, but to your part, I think the Leto discourse started before. I think the Leto discourse started around House of Gucci. I, th- I think Leto's had a target on his back for the last few months of people kind of ragging on him a little bit. Yeah, but you guys don't like Sean back me up here. I, I, I felt that there was such a, a tone on social media and this just could be my feed of people like celebrating or wanting it to not perform, not have a good box office. They were celebrating the Rotten Tomatoes score and I'm not defending Morbius. It's, it's a fine movie. I don't think it's horrible. I don't, think it's, I don't think it sucks. I don't think it's great. I, I thought it was entertaining and I enjoyed it, but it is forgettable. Ultimately. They're going to use that on the poster. I, I just, think that I'm, I'm just tired of the negativity. I'm so tired of this hatred well, that people have. It's a movie opening weekend. There was a lot of people who did go who did see it and came back and said it was one of the worst things that they've ever seen, which it's lives, not, which, which I don't agree with. And and Jack, uh, Jack, Jake is probably right Jake, in that there's Jake. a Leto discourse, Jack Hamilton. But I Jack think Hamilton. with this particular film, there's also a very strong Sony discourse in terms of Sony Spider-Man movies. I think that yeah. people are very quick to dump on them. Um, and this happens to be the next one. And Just which is strange sad. coming off of No Way Home, which, yes, is a Marvel movie, um, but is all that money's going to Sony, <laughs> you know, Marvel's not making money off of that. They're making merchandise. They're still making some money off of it. Yes, of course. Um, but that's a Sony movie, technically. Um, and then Sony, when you think about it, has had a pretty good run because Uncharted did better than uh, it people expected yeah. it to do. And um, I forget what it had before that, too. Not not the Denzel movie, but I thought Sony had one that was right before that, too. And then Morbius opened better than what they expected. I heard numbers from inside Sony's studio where they were like, if, th- if Morbius can make this, we're happy. And it made north of that. So they're happy, like they're happy. But I do think that Twitter is really quick to pounce on any kind of Sony universe because they think that that universe is stupid. Now, it's hard to defend that universe because I don't think that universe really is figuring out. It's still trying to figure out what it's doing. And it's four movies deep into it, you know, and the post credit scenes didn't help it because it just made it more confusing. And I got to be honest, I feel like the director's um, post release interviews have also not helped. Like no, him, him basically coming out and being like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, and if someone asked him, like, dude, why was the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man in the trailer? He's like, I don't know. I didn't shoot that. Like, like all, all of that stuff, like, I feel yes. like is not helping the film's case. Well, so and, and this is something important that I didn't know. And Sean pointed this out. So Morbius was supposed to open before No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Right. Correct. And then and then No Way Home. So whatever happened in No Way Home theoretically shifted things for, for Morbius, which kind of screwed Morbius. In sure. A, over in a weird way. Um, I don't listen. It's not a great movie, but it does no. not deserve this insane hatred. You use that energy somewhere else, please. Yeah, yes. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should give this more thought and more um, more of a discussion at a later time. But it, it's one of those things where we go. 
social media is what it is. And people are a little bit like so many people, even people in this chat room right here, um, chat room, Jesus, how old am I? Um, are, are a little, you lean into cynicism as like an online character and persona. And there are people on Twitter and film Twitter specifically that are good about making that funny. And then sure. there are people that latch onto that as the voice of Twitter. Mm. And it just sort of all starts to compound into this, like you're saying this big negative ball and it, and it just keeps growing and people want to each other on like how cynical they can be. A lot of it I doubt is real world sort of re- reflecting the real world, obviously, but it's, it's one of those things that I, I, I agree with you and it's, and it's unfortunate. And I hope that people who work on these things aren't paying attention to that because they always have the best intentions, I think at, at some degree. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to just accept the fact that a lot of people are just trying to play a character online these days. And true. And, I just think and the, the cynical one is the easier cool. one to play. Just makes me sad. That's all. That's all. But anyways, well, don't be sad, Kev. We're going to make some I, money on this show. I just and want, we're going to, Throw I want people to celebrate. <laughs> well, let's celebrate movies on the other side of this, uh, because first comes commercial. Here we go. <laughs> That's your worst one yet. <laughs> Thank you. I was just about to say, it's my favorite one so far. <laughs> this episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back recommending some films that are opening this week, both in uh, limited VOD on Netflix and in theaters, starting with a Chris Pine film called All the Old Knives. Uh, it's going to be available on VOD. It's available in limited release if you want to check that one out. Netflix has a movie called Metal Lords, uh, which Nick Venable on our site saw and really, really liked a lot. 
Uh, but he's not part of this show, so I'm not going to <laughs> let Jesus. Him say anything about it. Uh, Kevin is very excited to see. Did he? Did he write was, about it on the site? Can we plug? No, his how review? did he? Um, he did interviews for it, and he okay. described it as it would be Bill and Ted for metal, uh, but without time travel. Oh, that's so, pretty badass. That's a great okay. pitch. So, oh, I'm, a pretty I'm good all pitch. in. Yeah, yeah. So that's on Netflix, and I'll check that out. Um, Maya Bialik was our guest this week, and she has a film coming out called As They Made Us. Uh, in limited release in VOD. I mentioned earlier that Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen uh, are the um, Candace Bergen. Candace. No, I, was, Bergen? I was joking. You, you, know, you said earlier that oh. they were unknowns and I was <laughs> I just, just bringing that back. Sorry. I mispronounced the names as I am wont to do. Uh, nope. So they are um, they're the parents of a uh, of this character, this daughter who was kind of like the surrogate for Mayan Bialik. And in fact, as we talked about in the interview, if she ever considered playing this character, uh, and she's dealing with the fact that the father, played by Dustin Hoffman, is is failing. Essentially, he's getting much older. He's losing his faculties. Um, he can't quite remember who he is or who the rest of the people in his family are. But through flashbacks, you learn that um, even though he's going through this really tough time, like he was a hard ass on the whole family growing up. And it's about why the the son um, who's played by what's her co-star from Big Bang? Jake? Simon Helberg. Right. He's the son. And he's um, alienated from the family because of a fight Howie. he had with the father earlier. And uh, and it's can they rekindle their relationship before the father passes away? So it's really heavy stuff. Um, and it's not done with like a wink or that sort of like cynical humor type thing. It really embraces the difficulty of having a parent who's ailing and putting them through the the nursing home process. And how would you amend some of these relationships? But it's not overbearing at all and and too heavy in a way i think it just it, it raises a lot of re- really interesting conversations that i'm sure somebody her age uh is dealing with in terms of having, having parents who are getting much older and how you take care of them um so, that's so cast, cast over- tremendous it's not overbearing would you say that it's not an unbearable weight correct it is definitely okay. not an unbearable weight but i would say that my bialik has massive talent though kev so there that's you go true. bringing that back all around again so uh check out as they made us uh, on in limited release also on VOD uh, last week, I believe it was Jake and I reviewed uh, everything everywhere all at once. The new film by the Daniels. But Kevin ha- was not with us. Maybe this was two weeks ago um, because it's been on a platform and it's coming out wide this week. So, Kev, you have caught up with uh, the multiverse Michelle. Yeah. Yeoh, everything everywhere all at once. What are your thoughts on uh, on, on this film? My favorite movie of the year so far. Um, nice. No question. I, I, um, so it's interesting to me because this film means a lot to a lot of people. Like there, there are different things that people take away from it, uh, different things that people relate to. Um, but in a strange way to me at the end of the day, like I found it to be personally like a metaphor for an ADHD brain. Um, hmm. And did regardless you, did you of, tell the Dan- I know you interviewed the Daniels. Did you tell them that? Yeah. And, what was and their reaction? So we, they said that's what we were going for. I mean, outside of like the themes and kind of sure. what they're doing with 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 family and uh, and Michelle's character. Um, but the Daniels, uh, one of the one of the directors, uh, I can't remember. I, I know they're both Daniel, um, but yeah. one of them said that the, they they uh, they got they got diagnosed with ADD while they were writing the script because they're trying to understand their brain. And one of the fascinating things about this film is it's so chaotic to a point where they actually wanted it to go off the rails. They wanted you to feel like you were on a roller coaster that was like 
about to tip off and it, it is supposed to go off and then you're supposed to come back on and then find a sense of calm. Um, and this concept of what ifs, what if my life was this way? What if my life was this way? What if I did this? What if I did that? And in today's society, we're, we're, we're so we're always being told over and over. Essentially, we're not doing enough. And, you know, what, what if I could have done this and could have been a movie star and, uh, you know, went to move to California, et cetera. And then you really don't end up living your own life in the present day of what you're supposed to be doing. And kind of like the concept of this film for me was her family and her coming to a realization that she is happy, that she has a beautiful life with her family. Um, now, thematically, uh, emotionally, that's where I love the film from that particular standpoint. On top of that, when you can make a technical masterpiece that also serves the emotional aspect of the story, then you really have, to me, a phenomenal picture on your hands. Um, and the, the way this film was shot, uh, there's multiple aspect ratios while we're in different universes. So if we're in if we're in one multiverse of this character, it'll be a different ratio and then it'll open back up again to the other universe that you're in. And they do that to play with your mind so you know where you are and which character you're looking at. But it becomes a thing that actually is supposed to frustrate you. I mean, to me, there's a chaotic nature to this film that is unnerving to a point where it's everything everywhere all at once is a perfect title because you honestly, your brain can't handle a lot of what you're watching because it's so absurd and so insane. But that's the brilliance. You're on that track with it and you fall off that track with it, and then you get back on that track with it. Um, score everything. And one of the cool things about it is they shot each character's universe. They lensed it, aspect ratioed it, scored it differently. Everything was done. So subconsciously, your mind is supposed to be jumping around and understanding that. Um, Michelle, her performance is absolutely phenomenal. I think it might be the best performance of her career. I think she was born to play this role. It was written for her. Um, obviously, Crouching Tiger was Probably the first one I was introduced to her years ago, uh, but I'm just happy to see her in this starring role in this film that is so well received. Uh, and Swiss Army Man was a great example of these filmmakers who do really, really good practical effects. I mean, even the farting body in, in uh, Swiss Army Man, when Paul Dano is riding Daniel Radcliffe's body across the water as he's farting. That's real. That's a practical effect. There's, you know, CG is barely in that scene. They built an actual thing that operated that Paul Dano could get on and ride. Um, so in this movie, there's a ton of that. Um, the I won't go into too much details, but like the things that you would be surprised that are not CGI will blow your mind. Like there's a simple shot of two characters sinking into a couch. That is mm -hmm. a practical effect. That is not CGI. They actually pulled the actors down. It's a, kind of a cool thing how they play with it. Um, Michelle kind of puts it as like an indie film um, mm -hmm. in the way it was made. And, uh, and I'll point this thing out and then I'll end my thoughts. Uh, Key. Um, Key Hoi Kwan. The, the general, yeah, who is phenomenal. Michelle Yeoh is amazing. But what I loved about this is that that, you know, this was he hadn't done a movie in so many years. Right. And like you think about short round from temple of doom and you think about um data from the goonies but this brought him back to the way film sets used to be in the 80s he said that when he walked on this set it kind of just reminded him about like what spielberg sets looked like back then like they were doing everything in camera um and he his performance in the film is incredible mm -hmm. um and just um, everybody jamie lee curtis uh it just i, I was 
I was just blown away by Michelle Yeoh specifically and 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 what this film does. And 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 I think everybody watching it will get a different uh, uh, variation of what it does, what it gives you. But for me, it was the ADD aspect of it that I it kind of helped me understand the chaos of my brain and realizing the importance of being present um, while on top of that, just being a badass action film and a badass story and an awesome. It's just it's just so it's awesome all around. It's amazing. Loved it. Yeah, I don't know. You weren't here when we talked about it earlier. I compared it to seeing the Matrix for the first time. No um, question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's. That's an interesting point, because Matrix is so game changing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. This is definitely a great film. I, I do understand well, let me tell that you comparison. This. Let me tell you this. In terms of we seem to be moving into a phase now, and I don't know how many how many projects can actually tackle this, but like multiversal storytelling. Right. Um, and you're going to see in Doctor Strange characters who are playing multiple versions of, of actors who are playing multiple versions of the same characters. Now, yeah. how many times can we do this before it gets tiresome sort of thing? Um, but this seemed to be the quintessential version of if somebody comes to you and says that there's multiple universes and, you know, you're the one who has to be able to save all of them. And you happen to be the, the woman who owns a laundromat you know, and is facing a, an IRS audit. Uh, and then the story goes from there. It's remarkable that in terms of because to me, what blew me away the most about this movie is the editing. Like I never lost focus of where we yeah. were in the story. And if they can tell a story this way, using practical effects that you talk about, but still keeping you on this incredibly wild ride without yeah. losing you. You're uh, it's, but you're it's, supposed to get lost in it. That's that, that, sure. that, that they want you to be like disoriented, like the characters. But what's fascinating about what you're saying about the Matrix, there's one scene in particular. This is not a spoiler, but right in the beginning of the film where Michelle Yeoh's character is being told to do something in an office. Right. And she's like ducking down in the in the cubicles. That's very, very neo morpheus on the phone telling him what to yeah, do yeah, kind of yeah, thing yeah, so yeah, yeah, i can totally sure. see that but it's, it, it's honestly a masterpiece highly recommend it yeah i was blown away and um it's available in imax uh currently but i think it's going to lose some screens to ambulance because i think ambulance is going into imax but it's still it's going wide you'll be able to see it in more theaters and um so we recommend highly that you go see it uh kev is the only one here on staff who has seen sonic the Hedgehog 2, starring friend of the show Ben Schwartz. So, Kev, keep going. Take it away. Take it away yeah. and let us know what you thought about Sonic. I'll keep it quick. I, I love the first. I, I Love is a strong word. I really like the first Sonic. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was really impressed with the visual effects. I love. I thought Ben did a great job with the voice of Sonic. I thought Robotnik Carey's performance was incredible. He put a lot of thought into it. It wasn't just a, you know, bad guy villain. He actually had a lot to go into that. And like there's a line in the first movie where his character refers to something about an orphan face. And I remember asking Jim Carrey about that because like he literally built this backstory about who this guy was prior to becoming the villain that he is. Like that's how detail oriented and you can actually see it in the performance. He's really good at like building that in even to a kid's film. Um, but, you know, I think Marsden's great in these. Tika Sumter's great in these. Uh, I, I, I'm a fan of this franchise. Now, the second one is... I would say it's a little below the first one only because it felt a little longer than I thought it should have. It just just kind of dragged a slight bit. Um, okay. But visual effects wise are unbelievable. Idris Elba is unbelievable as Knuckles. I loved 
that dynamic. Um, once it really gets into like the video game type action where like Sonic is like in that ball going really quick and they're fighting each other. It, it's awesome. I mean, that stuff is so cool. And there's like this really the visual effects in this one are unbelievable. Um, there's a scene that's in the trailer where you see uh, Jim Carrey like taking apart like motor vehicles and trains the visual effects on that, it's like the opposite of a transformer effect where like it's coming apart in pieces because mm-hmm. he's building this gigantic thing he's going to go into, which is in the trailer as well. But visual effects wise, I mean, it's ironically, remember the first film came out, the trailers were people were very negative towards the the look of Sonic and then they yeah. fixed it, which was actually a really that that was where social media actually helped um, in a situation. And that movie made three hundred nineteen million dollars. People loved it. Kids loved it. Uh, and now they're back and it's fun. I mean, to me, I just enjoy these movies and I will watch five, six more of them. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm into it. And I, I wasn't even a huge Sonic head growing up. I was more of a Nintendo kid, but I was always interested in the idea of the visual of Sonic and like, how can you actually operate that in the film? They do a really good job. And Schwartz is a hell of an actor. He really is because you got to play these scenes where Sonic's going like super fast but the dialogue has to flow as if Sonic would be saying it in those moments. And he has this sense of calm that he gets into when he's going crazy fast. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a fan of it. I liked it. It's funny that they co-star Jim Carrey because it's reminiscent of when Carrey would voice or would do like the Grinch. Right. And mm-hmm. you assume that he was riffing and throwing jokes at the people. And then they like would have to reshoot to almost include his humor. Or even like Robin Williams with the with Aladdin, you know, yeah, where there wasn't a script per se. And I wonder if that's the case with with Ben Schwartz and Sonic because of how quickly he works in improv. And you mentioned Metal Lords. I want to mention this real fast, which is kind of cool. If you're a metalhead, uh, there's two. So I, weirdly enough, I, I just kind of put this together when I was interviewing Jim Carrey for this, because there's a lot of music, heavy metal music references in his career. Um, one of the first movies he ever did, he does this crazy. I don't remember the name of it. He has this crazy dance scene to Guns N' Roses. Um, it's an incredible sequence. If you just he just I think it's Welcome to the Jungle. And he's just like dancing around this room and he uses the, the heavy rock to kind of mm-hmm. move his body. Then if you go to Ace Ventura. He's in that Cannibal Corpse concert when he shows up and he asks that guy for directions and the guy's like headbanging. He goes, oh, over there. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And then so then later on down the line, I'm watching Sonic 2 and I'm like, there's literally a needle drop in this film for Pantera Walk which is oh, like really? a really heavy song. And they like, and like there's a whole sequence where they do a needle drop and that song hits and he's like going on this, this epic like rampage. There's a Limp Biscuit reference in the movie. I mean, I, I just thought it was really funny. Like, all the metal over the years that he's kind of put. Did into you ask him about it? Yeah. Oh, dude, that was a, a four minute interview that turned into a seven minute interview because he wanted to talk about Nirvana Deep Purple and Pantera for like the first oh, wow. three or four minutes. I was like, the dude is genuinely a, a I think a metalhead, a rock, a rock, hard rock guy. Um, and and there's a, I mean, if you're a Pantera fan, you're gonna get a, a needle drop to walk in a Sonic movie. <laughs> it's it's just right. crazy. I don't know. I was I was really happy. I was like, hell yeah. I would assume that there are uh, needle drops to heavy metal songs in Ambulance, Jake. And if there aren't, oh, I'm disappointed. Wait. Um, it's more score, believe it or not. Like a pretty um, almost um. It reminded me of like a, a like a Zimmer Nolan score. A lot of big heavy drums. Yeah. Okay. Um. I I absolutely like. It's it's crazy to to see a movie like this 
and think, well, this is more of like a smaller independent film for Michael Bay. Like it's definitely right. on the, the smaller <laughs> scale for him. But I honestly absolutely loved it. It's 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 quintessential Bay, but it's also Bay like very like almost scaled back a little bit. Okay. Um, trying out some new things. Um, Wait, the, hold on. What's the runtime? The runtime is a little over two hours. I think it's like 220 or something. I don't, I don't think I don't think it's quite 220. The fact that it's 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 a remake of I believe a Finnish a Finnish film that uh that I think is like 80 minutes. Perfect. I mean I mean that's Okay, Come all right. On, what, do you, what do you what do you what do you Pete Davidson and SNL? Like what do you like uh, short I'm ass movies? I love yeah. dude. There's a great uh, for people who haven't seen it, the SNL bit uh, for Pete Davis doing, doing short movies, the the best joke of it is at the end. Yeah, about all King of that. Staten Island. Staten Island. How long King of Staten Island is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We needed, so we needed those minutes. We, yeah. we, we, we needed that. <laughs> so with, with ambulance, honestly, the the it, it is it is Bay scaled back, but it also is still very much everything that you love about Bay. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul Mateen uh, play brothers who uh, rob a bank. And in their getaway, they end up uh, stealing, hijacking an ambulance in which there is an EMT in the back trying to save a cop's life. So they end up going on this uh, majority of the film is just this wild chase scene uh, through all the different streets and stuff of Los Angeles, um, which the people chasing them are very apprehensive to do anything serious to the ambulance because they don't want to to hurt the cop in the back. Um you know, one of the things I love, and you know, the thing I actually thought you would be proud of me, Kevin, because I got I talked to Michael Bay and I very rarely like talk about like the technical side of things or cameras. But his usage of drones in this is mm. unbelievable, like some just awe inspiring drone shots. Have, you, that, have they, you guys seen how they pulled those off? Have you seen the the features on that? Well, he told me that they basically because I asked him and he said that he's like well he goes I'm gonna be honest with you because there aren't a lot of like truly great drone operators mm -hmm. in in the United States yeah. he said so I hired these like 19 year old kids yeah who do these crazy ass like drone so videos great. that you've seen That's on YouTube so and yeah. it's and he goes I would go to them and be like I want you to do x y and z and they'd be like you want us to do what like you want yeah. like and he would do <laughs> like and, and when you see them the trailer has that great shot where it goes up the side of a building yeah, like, and it flips and over and then there there's one where like it runs along a building and then goes up like as a car is like running like and the head the timing had to be impeccable like as this yeah. the car's running over this ramp that the drone goes underneath the car as i mean it's just Stuff i mean to you the couldn't point, do if you had yes. to have an operator on yes it. It just, it's, it's just shot. it's just phenomenal work jake gyllenhaal's performance i love you know i i've confessed many times i love a good scene chewy yelly yeah. screamy performance and Hall basically gets to do that for two hours yeah yeah i think is uh is one of the the next great talents that we have working today mm -hmm. i mean he's just been so is he strong two, is he a two-time every... guest on the show or did he just come on once uh he he came on for uh trial. for trial trial, trial. did yeah, he come back around for i don't think real. we got him for candy man mm -mm. okay but then we almost yeah. got him for that this, this is a unique situation it was my fifth time great interviewing guest. yaya but first time in person yeah. Like oh, just because wow. it was because I never met him because of the pandemic. Um, That's funny. Just to, I, honestly, I, I would say see it on the big screen if you can. It is a, it is a great big giant big screen movie. Um, I I just it's it's going to be a guilty pleasure movie for me. Um, it's uh, though I I feel like and granted not that we uh, mark our our love or hatred of a movie by how it's doing a Rotten Tomatoes, but for a Michael Bay film, last time I checked, I think it was doing actually fairly well. 
um, in yeah. the in, in regards to the, the general consensus that I've seen from I've seen from people is like for a Michael Bay movie, it's pretty good. Now, granted, I like <laughs> Michael Bay movies. Um, right. I have this is the most I've I haven't loved a Michael Bay movie in a while. Um, I probably haven't loved a Michael Bay movie since Pain and Gain, and this is probably the most I've loved a Michael Bay movie in in, in quite Did a you while. See the names of the cameras that he used in this movie? No, like he has his own cameras. They're called Bayham cameras no, like he, said, he said he trademarked the bayham literally has bayham cameras yeah. <laughs> like it's like unbelievable uh the one of my favorite things we we got to interview him on the site and he says to your point earlier on there jake he says uh, you know i wanted to do this small movie ambulance and i just thought about every other filmmaker who's like small movie where he had actual helicopters flying in and yeah. drones and like all these explosions and he's like, I wanted to do this kind of this smaller. Yeah, small. And it's small crazy. Scale this this movie. movie is is like his like his, his small little movie. Yeah. Yeah. I also love too. like he's really reached a point of self-awareness. Yes. Maybe I mean, he's had the, it for a long there, time. There are characters that name drop Michael Bay movies in Ambulance. Yeah. Like yeah. one character says another like, dude, don't forget what Sean Connery said in The Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Which I love. So, and he's he, in and on he the says jo- Bond, I think he's, James Bond. Yes. Yeah. He he's very <laughs> much in on the joke. And um, when Eric Eisenberg, who was interviewing Bay for Cinema Blend, mentioned Bayhem and Bay was like, I didn't I didn't come up with that name. Someone else came up with that name, by the way. But I did trademark it. I did. Trademark <laughs> it. <laughs> it's awesome. He just I, he knows I, who he is. He's one of the I mean, my favorite filmmakers. Kev, ever. you'll have I to check Michael out. Bay. You'll have to check out our interview. I don't know if it's up. It might be up. Uh, he, t- he also tells a great story about pain and gain about the way they shot that. I love because it was game. all kind of guerrilla style run and gun. They like they he was talking about how they were all in this van or whatever. And Mark Wahlberg's driving illegally through the streets. And he's <laughs> like, we would see a, like a cop and, and he would they would just be like, hey, how you doing? Like they would. Everyone knows who they are because he was right next to his house. Like he used to just moped on the set. <laughs> he also, was that in our interview or was it in Jake's? I'm not quite sure. No, where that, he wasn't, said that, that wasn't mine. That was ours. That yeah. The Rock, um, The Rock quit that movie like yeah. a week before they started shooting. Really? Yeah. Because really? he said, the rock I, he is said, phenomenal in that movie. He is and that he movie. was just like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I can't. I don't know for what reason, but he told Bay, he's like, I can't do it. And Bay sat down with him and gave him a long list of all the actors that he's worked with over the years who came to him and said, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And he goes and look at all the performances that I've gotten out of them. And so Rock was like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. And like you said, it's it's yeah. one of his best performances. Yeah. So it's you say this. So here here are Bay's last movies. Should we just start ambulance. the blend game? Should we just go into that segment? Well, I think sure, he's going to read the reviews, uh, the, his his Rotten Tomatoes. Right? I just oh, want to okay, see like which ones Jake liked. Um, Six Underground. Mm. It's a kind of a mess. Uh, Transformers The Last Night. No. no. Truly terrible. 13 Hours. I thought it was a good movie. Loved it. I like 13 Hours. Uh, Age of Extinction. Transformers no. Age of Extinction. No. And then Pain and Gain. So, uh, no. all right. So. You're not that far off. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to our blend game, which is hashtag Michael Bay blend. And Jake, you were between two. So I'm going to yeah. make you go first and you can finally choose uh, which one you're going to go with. Uh, I, was I be- know Jake's. I was between The Rock and Armageddon. OK. And I rewatched The Rock recently um, because I've been doing uh, I, I did a bit of a, a Bay rewatch, but also did. A, I've been doing a Nick Cage rewatch as well, for obvious reasons. Um, and there was a moment where I was like, maybe it's maybe it's The Rock because The Rock is just flawless. Um, but um, I ended up pulling a, a clip from Armageddon for a story that we were doing about Bruce Willis and the news that came out last week. And uh, I pulled the clip where uh, Bruce Willis is making the sacrifice 
on the on the uh, on the Cry asteroid. And, yeah. And, and, and Ben Affleck is screaming like, you can't do this. It's my job. And, and, ben, and, and when he says, you know, you got to take care of my little girl, that's your job. And the, and the yeah. score is swelling. And I was sitting at my desk watching this like 15 second clip and my eyes started tearing up and I went, yeah, yeah. Armageddon's my favorite. Like it yeah. just like it, it, the rock is a technical marvel, but the rock does not make me feel what Armageddon makes me feel. I just think it, the, the the production value on that is phenomenal. There are so many iconic shots. The shot of the, all, all of them walking in slow motion in the, in the in the orange jumpsuits. That that score is one of my all time favorite scores. And with all due respect to Bill Pullman and Independence Day, Armageddon has my favorite presidential speech because that presidential speech interesting cut with the shots of people from around the world listening cut with the shots of them walking to the it just and that that's everything about it that all the great eclectic cast of characters from Michael Clark Duncan to Steve Buscemi. You know, I, I like Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck makes fun of himself a lot about that movie. I like Ben Affleck's performance in that. Billy, he I should think be Billy making Bob, fun of Pearl Harbor. Is what he Billy, should Pearl Harbor. You know, sometimes I forget man, about Pearl Harbor. Um, I think Billy yeah. Bob Thornton ah. is fantastic. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. animal crackers. Animal crackers. I, I, I don't mind the animal, the animal cracker scene doesn't bother scene. me. Um, I just, I love, you know, from, from the opening Charlton Heston voiceover all the yeah. way to, to, and also you have to keep in mind, and we always talk about sort of like personal aspects. I was 10 years old. I lived walking distance from NASA the, the, the summer that that came out and saw it with my dad, who was a roughneck and worked on oil rigs. And that movie made heroes out of the profession that my dad did. Yep. Uh, so like that movie was the greatest thing. And do you remember that summer? You could not escape that Aerosmith song. That Aerosmith no. song was inescapable. I, and I Everywhere. still love that song. Um, so because for all those reasons, uh, Armageddon is far and away my favorite Michael Bay film. All right. So I'm going to go next because I went through a number of different stages like you did. Mm -hmm. uh, I think shortly after we recorded, Jake told me what he knew what mine was going to be and that it would be the first Bad Boys. Mm -hmm. And that was a very good guess because that's where I was instantly going because yeah. I, I love the first Bad Boys. <gasps> is it not? It is not. Oh, yeah, I'm I intrigued. I love when I'm wrong. Bad Boys because 2? <laughs> because so there, there's a so I'm going to mention Bad Boys 2 for this reason. Uh, I also went down a sort of bay uh, rabbit hole then and, and watched a lot of different stuff. And I watched The Rock to see if it could be The Rock. And the the car chase when uh, mm. Sean Connery has the uh, the Jeep SUV type yeah, thing. I'm only borrowing your Humvee. It got to the point where, like, I was just in pain watching it, watching that that sequence happen because there's so that, much that destruction. poor train operator. There is mm. so much destruction. And what I love about Bay is that it's all practical. Like he's legitimately destroying stuff. Um, so I was like, all right, it's not going to be the it's not going to be the rock. Um, and then I watched Bad Boys 2 because Kevin made me watch Bad Boys 2. And oh, that's right. That was your punishment. That was my punishment. That's yes, right. But it's not a punishment, but it's not a punishment. Bad Boys 2 is, is a great movie. It's just not as good as the first one. It's overkill. There's too much. I still stand by the fact that there's too much. And the whole Cuba sequence is when it goes off the rails completely. <laughs> awesome. But there's a point um, during the highway ch chase scene, which is incredible. It's yeah. just the, the highway chase scene is incredible. They're firing into uh, the guns that the police officers are driving. And one police officer like turns and screams like, Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that that's the actor. <laughs> he was not in character. He really just was tired of everything like blowing up in his face. And so it goes to show how intense Bay is. 
But again, like Bad Boys 2, overkill. It's too much. It's just too much going on. So then I put on Armageddon. And it's just it's this perfect. It's, it's the perfect epitome of everything that Michael Bay is. Um, it's kind of dumb, but it's smart enough that you go along with it. Um, he gives the parts to the right people. Like Billy Bob Thornton in that movie is perfect. Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton. He doesn't get enough credit for how good he is in that movie. He sells all the stuff that's that's where every time that we're all just that in the audience, you're thinking like, well, this, no, you can't. And he comes in. And he's like, no, you can't. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, all right. Thank yeah. you for saying that. because That's exactly how I felt. Also, there's a lot of times where we like draw a line of demarcation. We're like, here's where Bruce Willis stopped caring. Like that is the, one of the last authentically charismatic Bruce Willis performances. Mm-hmm. And he has to be a guy who leads that team of of, you know, uh, not ruffians. What's the, the like they're they're kind of degenerates. Like, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like wh- when he gives them a night off, you know, they all run to like gamble and get tattoos or one guy goes to see his family kind of thing. But they will they will die on the hill for that guy. Right. They love Bruce Willis and they'll do everything in their power to 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 work for him, uh, even if it means going to an asteroid <laughs> And drilling through it. And I kind of love uh, Ben Ben's commentary of saying, like, oh, NASA guys couldn't figure out how to do this. <laughs> but, the, but the roughnecks know how to drill. And uh, like Willis has a line where he's just like, but it ain't drilling. Like, you don't yeah. know what it is. This you don't know Jack about drilling. To do it. Yeah. And he's like, really, Bruce? They don't know it. They're NASA scientists. Um, but it just works. It works. All of it works. It's it feels right. It clicks right. Um, it's the right length. It's super action packed, and uh, and so I went with Armageddon because Peter I think Stormare it does everything. As the Russian, that is the one scene where it's like a, like a, over the top when they're at the International Space even Station. Bay's standards because Peter Stormare is like he's on a tw- like twelve. <laughs> the the movie's on an eleven, and he finds a way to get to twelve. <laughs> but thankfully, it's just a little pit stop on that on that uh that little satellite dish that they land on. So. So I the International Space Station. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it's called? Yes, it's no, the ISS. Like a, how many, how many things do you know? No, I thought was it was the International. I'm pretty sure it was the International Space Station. Yeah, I think it's they, they dock on the ISS uh, to like fuel. Oh, well. He's a Russian cosmonaut, but he's yeah. yeah. And then, and then Bashimi like going, years. yeah. And then Bashimi going off the rails. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's great. I went with Armageddon. Yes! I love Armageddon. Uh, but it's not my favorite. Bad Boys Two is my favorite, no question. Um, oh, interesting for a lot of reasons. I, 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 first of all, I, I could sit in a scene with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in a Michael Bay movie any day of the week. Um, I could watch them like when they go to the. There's a scene in Bad Boys Two when they go to a, um, they go to an electronic store. <laughs> they, they even make that scene interesting. <laughs> like, it, it, like to me, Bay. Bay, that to me is the epitome of a Michael Bay film. It's R-rated, it's comedy, it's insane action. Uh, that highway chase scene you're referring to with the boat being you know, dropped in, dropped into the uh, into the car crash sequence. And but but just the dialogue that Will and Martin have in those scenes, it, it makes it it's like on top of the action is incredible. Um, there's a scene in that film that I refer to a lot that I think is one of my favorite action scenes of all time, where Martin and Will are in a shootout. And the camera is literally spinning 360 
around the 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 building itself around the actual inside of the building going in uh, a window and out the other side and it's like this incredible shot that is so immersive and so intense and so well done and then it's undercut or it's it's cut in with comedy the way martin and 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 will with the way they handle those sequences is just incredible um I love the ending sequence. I think it's over the top and perfect. I love Gabrielle Union in that movie. I think Joe Panigliano is hilarious. And the Wusaw moment is iconic. When they get back from that gigantic uh, chase scene on on the bridge with the boat and everything, and (laughs) they're sitting in Panigliano's office and like they're on the TV behind him is the footage of what just went down. And just the way Will Smith reacts to that and the way Joe, (laughs) Joe, I mean, that whole bit with Joe Panigliano is classic. And then you have the great scene when they go to Joe Panigliano's house. Yeah, they go to Joe Panigliano's house after Martin Lawrence takes the ecstasy. (laughs) And like that whole sequence. I mean, to me, what's great about that movie is like when it's not funny, it's insanely action packed. And then and then it, like nothing is ever boring. And like that's right. a film that's long, but to me deserves its length. Like I love every aspect of that film, even the opening scene with Henry Rollins when they yeah. when they're like when they're, Michael, when Shannon. They're Shannon. Shannon. Michael yeah. Shannon is yeah. when he when they when they come out and go blue power and like that whole ex- action sequence is so awesome like the way that shot and then he shoots martin lawrence in the butt which is hilarious as the bullet goes through i mean i know that movie it's such a bay so, shot like bay oh. has to have a bullet go through someone's butt cheek but dude but like <laughs> and then but but it's all done it's all done for story and all that works i mean even like even a bit like where a dog uh, where martin lawrence's dog uh, uh breaks the chain and his pool falls into the to the water hilarious mm. like what a great moment and then the whole concept of like gabrielle union like dating will smith's character bad boys for life or bad boys 2 2 interesting i think i yeah. put bad boys but for bad life boys 2 does have some crazy dialogue like really really crazy offensive stuff in it but it's wait did you say you put it, bad boys for life over a bad boys 2 like on your list i do i would yeah no. I would. Really? see bad boys for life is actually my least favorite of the bad three. boys no. 2 i think is my favorite yeah. yeah, yeah. I would go. I would go two one three. Boys. Yeah, that's so interesting. I would go one three two. All yeah. right, uh, let's get the audience picks. Michael Breen said Bad Boys. Uh, Travis said The Rock. Diego Salazar said The Island. And Harry Lickman went with Transformers. It's interesting that Transformers is such a like that's his signature. Fr- I'd, it would I'd, be boy, for me. It would be up there with with The Rock and Armageddon. I love the the list. first Transformers is fantastic. Oh, it's I one of my favorite. And actually, yeah, I think I the third movie. one. There are aspects of the third one that are equally I love great. The third one. I agree with that. Yeah, the third yeah. one's amazing. All the stuff in Chicago. Dark of the Moon. Is that Dark yeah. of the Moon? Yeah. Yeah. When they're flying off the buildings and, and like they're going in and out of the buildings on those like yeah. that's pretty. That's the first one. And they shot that practically. So good. The first one is so good because it like sets. It sets up. It, it feels like a universe. Like it, it yeah. feels like a franchise within the first one, yeah. and it, and that was kind of before that was like a that was a film language thing to like set up a wider universe. It just felt like it had a tone. Yeah, but I and a I and a vision that was unique. The 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 Transformers franchise should have been handed over to other directors earlier. Like yeah, and that was before again. That was before Marvel set the figured out to do that. You know, sure. Because I liked Bumblebee too, and yeah. it was like Bumblebee's a fresh great. voice. Yeah. Um, okay. Next week, you're going to reach out on Twitter using hashtag Michael Pena blend. So let us know oh. your pick for the films of Michael Pena. I like Michael Pena. By One using either that hashtag or an email, realblend at cinemablend.com. 
Uh, and can I suggest that everybody rewatch End of Watch prior to next week? Oh, Oof, that's a yeah. good idea. And also, oh, that <laughs> intense. what was the what was the uh, Seth Seth Rogen movie that he made? Observe and Report. <laughs> Where he that played too. the the security guard. guard? They're, yeah, they're a right, mall yeah. security guard. Yeah, that's right. Also, uh, Moonfall. Guard. No, we watch Moonfall. No, I, I mean, forgot his his, his Ant Man performance is the amazing too. Though. His Ant Man character is great. Yeah. All right, drop Moonfall. us a review on Apple Podcasts and please go Moonfall. leave us a re- uh, rating on Spotify because more people are finding us uh, on Spotify and of course on the YouTube on the YouTube channel where you can learn uh, where you can figure out how to get onto the premium episodes because our next premium episode now that everybody is back is going to be the two film challenge we're going to be playing the screenwriters edition Ooh. so again check the description down below yeah. to find out the um, aliens come to earth how to sign up for yes what two movies do you show them the these screenwriters uh follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell at gabe kovach and at real blend is the uh twitter address for the show we will talk to you guys next week with a brand new episode and uh potentially doing uh, a fun game next week uh, which i won't announce just in case it doesn't happen so until then finish Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code car for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank account paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code car for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank that's code car as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com podcast that's indeed.com podcast terms and conditions apply